Week 4 is upon us. It is the TD Club. I am Sean Curtis at Sean Curtis 430 Mike Mastovich is across the table from me. At Masty81 is where you can find him on Twitter. And we got through Week 3. And there are a couple big, big games. Like, a lot of blowouts, I'm not going to lie. But there are a couple big monumental games. We'll just go right into it. The first one being Penn Cambria over Central 42-28. to And we talked about this game last week. And... We both kind of were in the mindset that if Penn Cambria was really going to show that it was a contender, it was a heavy hitter in the L-Hack, this was a game that the Panthers had to win. They did. They did it uh, Did it well on their home turf, uh, 42-28. to 28, And the uh, oh, like we've been saying all year, he can do it as a runner, he can do it as a passer. Had a couple plays in that game that everybody in the media who was covering it and tweeted about it. The one play was sensational, and it was a game-changing type of play. On fourth down and a mile, he was uh, rolling out, and a uh, central player had him right in his sights. Somehow he eluded the tackle in a spectacular fashion and got off the throw for a touchdown. Game-changing moment there. And uh, we've talked about him Every week now, and uh, he's got a great cast around him. It's not just him. Uh, Zach Grove, another big rushing night, and uh, the defense doing just uh, enough to, to win ball games. So Penn Camry now 3-0 and uh, in a quartet of Laurel Highlands Athletic Conference teams currently sitting at 3-0. and They join Bedford, they join Chestnut Ridge, and then also Richland. And that's a pretty nice group to be a part of. Yeah, I, w- I was looking at for my stats column this week, and just uh, those teams that are three and zero, obviously they're going to have scoring advantages. But some of these scoring advantages are pretty impressive. Like Bedford has outscored its three opponents one hundred thirteen to fourteen, and uh, you know Richland uh, ha- has given up a few more points, but they- they've put up almost a hundred. And uh, just these guys, Chestnut Ridge one hundred twenty to twenty six on their scoring margin, so. There's just some some big play offenses combined with very sturdy defenses. Speaking of big play offense and sturdy defense, that's Wimber. 56-7 winner over Connemaw Valley. That was a game that you were at this past Friday, Mike. I, What did you see with Wimber? Well, I mean, they, they look just as they did last year, a, a pretty dominant force. And um, started out in that first half, Colin Marks, the underclassman uh, running back, had only three touches, but picked up 105 yards, two fairly long touchdown runs. So it looked like it was going to be the Colin Marks show. But then as the game wore on, John Schuster did what John Schuster has a knack for doing and just um, dominated uh, a couple 60-plus yard touchdown runs and uh, over 200 yards rushing, four touchdowns. And the, the Ramblers put up 56 points in their defense. Uh, another one, you know, Wimbers outscored its three opponents, 177 to 15. Um, pretty impressive stuff there uh, defensively for the Ramblers too. And the schedule makers very unkind to the Blue Jays this season. They started with Berlin Brothers Valley, Connemaw Township, and then Wimber. You look at the three teams without a loss in the West Pack. It's Berlin Brothers Valley, Connemont Township, and Wimber. Yeah, Coach Matt Kent from the Blue Jays talked to me after the game. He was relatively upbeat because they, even though it was a blowout game, they did some nice things in there. Eli Dar had, uh, you know, had a, a solid game against a very tough defense. Probably ran for fifty or sixty yards and uh, scored a touchdown. But Coach Kent said, "Hey, last year we were zero and three. They ended up six and six, and the only reason we're six and six is um, 
one of the games was a forfeit. Uh, and it was kind of strange because last year some of the COVID postponements were just no contests and other ones were called forfeits. Mm-hmm. So there was some confusion on a few of the games in our coverage area when I was doing the overall uh, records for this year. But anyway, I digress. So Coach Kent said, hey, last year we started out 0-3. They ended up making the District 6 Class 1A playoffs, winning a playoff game, which uh, was a big big deal for Conemaugh Valley and uh, so he said we're looking at it okay we're 0-3 let's let's take it from here and he said every game after this this is nothing against the opponents every game is winnable we should be in the games is what Kent was saying so um, you know whether they can uh, win all of them it would be a huge challenge but at least you know they're looking at it as hey we're not facing you know a Berlin team that's South scored it's three opponents 133 to nothing <laughs> Conemaugh Township 28 Claysburg Kimmel 0 uh, a big non-conference victory for Conemaugh Township. The Indians stay three undefeated. They're 3-0 and right now. And, again, this is a team right now, you look at the District 5A playoff rankings. It might be way too early to talk about the rankings. We're going to get into a conversation about that later in the show. But here they are. They're in second place. They're actually, and I think it's just strictly because of the alphabet, they're ahead of Wimber right now in the playoff rankings. You know, they both have... 21 points, you know, a 7.0 ranking. So it's it's one of those things. This team could be trouble. They, they have a lot of different um, different uh, weapons, for lack of a better word. Uh, you know, you've got Tanner Shirley, who we as we speak about every week, he passed for 2,000-plus yards last year. Uh, same kind of pace this year. Um, and he's got John Updike, who transferred to Township last year and had to sit out the football season. Uh, after leaving Greater Johnstown, well, everybody knew that as a freshman and beginning of his sophomore year with Johnstown, the kid was a special kid. He's 600 receiving yards, and he's also a capable guy out of the backfield running the ball. You got Ethan Black, a receiver who, as we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, a 200-meter dash and 100-meter dash state champion. With that kind of speed, he's got a couple hundred receiving yards. So uh, they've just got a lot on offense, and their defense has been uh, pretty solid. Portage with a bounce-back victory over Marion Center. Uh, good to see the Mustangs produce a victory after what was a very tough game in Week 2 against Cambria Heights. And we're going to talk more about Portage when we roll into Week 4 because there's a special note linked to the Mustangs game with Purchase Line this week. Spoiler alert. Um, but we do have some other Week 4 games to get into. Um, they're combined one and five right now, but McCourt Carroll, Greater Johnstown, that's going to be a Trojan Stadium. I, it's always a big game. It's cliche, but throw the records out the window. Um, what are you looking for in that one on Friday? Well, both of these teams desperately need this game. They need a win. Uh, Johnstown, maybe more so than McCourt, uh, because Johnstown's 0 and 3, and uh, the Trojans trying to snap a 23 game losing streak. Bishop McCourt, 1 and 2. Uh, coming off a, a tough loss to Richland, a, a rival. So uh, both teams looking to right the uh, path here on, on this game. Uh, McCourt, as I said, two weeks ago, they, they put up 50 points in a win over Somerset, so they had a little momentum there uh, against Richland. That's a tough task for anybody. Johnny Golden, the, the McCourt Carroll quarterback, had a, a pretty solid game last week. Um, so uh, Greater Johnstown, uh, as tough as things have been, at Trojan Stadium, uh, I spoke to Coach Antoine Reed, and he's still uh, upbeat and uh, talks about some very 
positive intangibles and lessons that are trying to teach those guys and uh, his players and trying to make it more than just about football and uh, making the, the, the team a true team. And he seems upbeat about it, and, and uh, they, they just need something positive to happen and maybe build some momentum for the Trojans. Uh, Bishop McCourt could probably say uh, similar things. Uh, you know, they, they're on the, in the win column uh, uh, already, but, uh, you know, you never want to start out one and three. So this game, city rivalry, it always seems to mean it a little bit extra. And uh, whether or not these teams are fighting for a championship or they're fighting just to get a, uh, get a win, this is always a big game. All right, Northern Cambria will take on United Valley at Blacklick Valley. And this will be – I. you're looking at United Valley right now. They're 0-3, but a very competitive game against Westchamokin this past Friday. Northern Cambria is 3-0, and and it may not be a surprise anymore that the Colts are doing this well right now. Only Northern Cambria and Penn's Manor are, are unbeaten in the Heritage Conference, each at 3-0. and But – now you're going to, to Nanny Glow. This is this is a special night for United Valley, especially for the kids enrolled at Black Lake Valley who are part of this co-op. And with you know everything that Kevin Marabito said after that loss to West Shemokin, if this is kind of a case where United Valley might be turning a corner, this is a very dangerous game for Northern Cambria. Yeah, I mean, the Colts have started out exactly how, how you want to in a 3 0 start, beating a, a rival in week one in the Cold Bowl, and then just continuing to maintain uh, the pace in the next two weeks. But as you said, with so much at stake, and uh, it, it's such a different situation. It's the first year of the United Valley, which is the Black Lick Valley United uh, co op in football. So um, this will be the, the first game at the field in Nanny Glow. And uh, I know. Um, one of the journalists we work with who's doing a special project for uh, for us uh, has been following that the United Valley team throughout uh, throughout the offseason and season and uh, he's been talking about how uh, special this game is and how this is kind of an example of how communities are willing to take extra steps to keep the football tradition alive uh, whether it means you know a co-op or playing field at different fields, different weeks, and, and things like that just to keep that tradition going. So uh, should be a, a, a great game. Portage is a purchase line. This is the first time that the Mustangs have traveled to Commodore since 1992. But there are some memories associated with that 92 visit. Mike Mastovich, I'm just going to back away from the table. I'm going to let you take over for a little bit. Yeah, the column uh, that ran with my stats package this week uh, – was I, I got to credit uh, Marty Slanuk for uh, the Portage coach for kind of telling me, hey man, the last time uh, Portage went to Purchase Line was in 1992, and the reason I remember that is because there there was a, a meteorite went through the sky during the game, stopped the game, everybody kind of stopped and stared at it, and the people filming the uh, game tape uh, caught it on film and. Of course, Marty had another reason he could have remembered that he ran for about 275 yards and three touchdowns in in uh, Portage's win over Purchase Line when he was a junior running back on that team. But it was such a cool story. The more I talked to him, and I thought, you know, I'm going to write this, and did some internet research and came across a, a video compilation of um, all the different videos of this comet going through the sky. It went through Western PA. It was called the Peak Skill Comet, or not Comet, Peak Skill Meteorite, because um, – 
when it finally did land, it uh, went through the back end of a Chevy Malibu in uh, Peekskill, New York. And uh, that Chevy Malibu even has a web page dedicated to it, <laughs> to the car. So uh, that's why it was named the Peekskill Meteorite. And it's so cool looking at the video. And one of the videos was shot at Point Stadium. Uh, Bishop McCourt was playing Bishop Guilfoyle at that time on October 9, 1992. And John Durr, who used to be a sports reporter at uh, Channel 8, was videoing, the, I guess, the game highlights. And he, he got some excellent footage of this uh, meteorite just going across the sky above the right field wall and uh, the entrance by the one end zone, uh, the main entrance. And it was just such cool footage. And then it goes to another one. And I, I read it said something like there were 16 videos of this comet. Well, most of them were from high school football games because, like like Marty said, no, not everyone was running around with a cell phone back then. Hardly anybody was. Uh, it was, you know, you know, not even really in existence. And, and no cell phone had a camera. So. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah, yeah, no camera. So ironically, there was a lot of footage of this comet solely because it was during football season at around 8 o'clock at night, and everybody was doing their usual. Back then, everybody had cameras, and they were filming the games uh, and that for, the, for review to film study, not video study. And uh, that's why when you, if you look at the compilation, there are at least four or five of them are at football games including the Point Stadium in downtown Johnstown. I just I those are the kind of things that I think really tie high school football into the fabric of you know of historical or just notable events because how many times do you hear about an event that happened and probably about two out of every five times you know somebody's going to say oh I was at a football game at insert town here, insert school here. And, you know, this is one of those events. Now, I vaguely remember that meteorite. I I don't think I was at a football game that night. I think because I remember standing in my yard and seeing like a little bit of a greenish glow from where I was outside uh, the borough of New Florence. So that was, you know, that, that was my memory to it. But uh, yeah, just the, a game stopping and everybody just kind of looking at this guy. I, that's just wild stuff. Yeah. I mean, that you can only imagine everybody just standing there. It's kind of stuff you see in movies every once in a while, like uh, Men in Black when the baseball players all stop and look up in the sky. But uh, I guess uh, fiction became reality on that night. It's becoming more of a reality as we're going into week four, and that is playoff rankings. And we teased this a little earlier talking about Kanawha Township right now sitting at second in the District 5 1A rankings. And I, I'll throw this question out to you, and then we'll just kind of uh, briefly uh, chunk through uh, relevant playoff rankings for our area. And that is, when do rankings and seedings really start to matter for teams? And is it a sliding scale? Is it a case where one team might already, ha I don't want to say have it made in the shade, but pretty much already have their ticket punched with, say, three or four wins, and... You look at a case like Forest Hills last year, they were two and five, and they had to just fight and scratch and claw in those final weeks just to qualify, and then they turned it into a run to the two-way championship game in District 6. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know from my perspective, writing the, the Friday preview, I usually don't get into the uh, district rankings until at least after week five, sometimes week six, uh, you know, occasionally mention them here and there, but not 
for every team that's in contention until later in the season. But I know everybody's watching it. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that that's just human nature to see where you stand. And there's, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, you look at the marquee games and kind of see little previews here and there uh, of some potential playoff powerhouses. Um, we'll see one of those probably next week uh, if everything goes according to plan, you know, how people are playing out this, this week. Uh, you know, Wimber and Berlin are two teams headed for a collision next week. So, uh, you know, if they both take care of business this week. So looking at – Playoff ranking standings, whatever you want to call it. We'll start in District 5 uh, in single A. Looking at right now, you've got Northern Bedford at top. Uh, they've got 24 points, an 8.0 rating. They're just ahead of Conlon Township, and Winber sitting on an average rating of 7.0. All three of those teams are 3 0 right now. Tussie Mountain and North Star are currently tied for fourth. Um, both are 1 and 2. They have 7 points, a 2.3 rating. And then Myersdale, 0 and 2, 0.0, the Blutarski grade point average. Um, now you go into 2A where it's the sub-region with uh, District 8. Uh, Chestnut Ridge is top of that rating right now, at an average of 9.0. They're 3-0 with 27 points. Bedford is 3-0 with 23 points, 7.667. Uh, Westinghouse and Berlin Brothers Valley also at 3-0. Westinghouse right now at 22 points, 7.3. And Berlin right now at 21 points at 7.0. And then 5 and 6 in the 5-8 ratings, Perry Traditional Academy at 1 and 2, and then Everett at 0-3. So you're starting to see things take shape. I think, like especially in AA and 5-8, you're looking at probably the four teams that are going to reach the postseason. Man, that's a that's a tough bracket there with uh, Bedford and Chester Ridge, Berlin, and Wimber. Whoa. <laughs> imagine being a team with like one or two losses and being the four seed. And I mean, it's very possible uh, with the schedules and how everything pans out. But now looking at District 6, um, in 4A, Juniata is the only team out of the three that has a win. So right now they have 110 points. Uh, Belfont and Greater Johnstown are 0-3. Um, in 3A, Pencambria and Tyrone are... Each 3-0, Penn Camry has 320 points to Tyron's 300. And then you have Central at 110 with a 1-2 record. Somerset 0-3 with zero points. Um, in 2A, you look at our teams, and it gets a little scarce because right now, of if everything ended today, we would only have one team in the 2A playoffs, and that would be Richland. Penns Valley right now just 10 points ahead of Richland, each at 3-0. and uh, Bishop Gilfoyle, Mountain Union, Bellwood Anna, Southern Huntington, and West Shemokin, each at 2-1. and At their varying point totals, Bishop Gilfoyle, 220, and it just goes down by increments of 10 with Bellwood Annas and Southern Huntington. Tied at 200, West Shemokin at 190. And then Bald Eagle area, which would be the 8th seed right now, is at 1-2, 120 points. They're currently tied with Central Cambria, so like it might be some like weird tiebreaker that happens there because I'm guessing right now Bald Eagle area is just ahead of Central Cambria because of the alphabet. Um, Huntington, Westmont Hilltop, Phillipsburg, Osceola, each at 1-2, and two, varying point totals. And then Forest Hills, River Valley, United, all at 0-3, no points. Um, Penn's Manor in Northern Cambria, we talked about them being the only Heritage Conference teams with 3-0 records right now. They're top in the 1A standings 
in District 6. Uh, the Comets with 340 points, Northern Cambria 330. Cambria Heights is your top two in one team in 1A. They've got 230 points. Homer Center's got 220 at two and one. And then Portage at 210. Uh, Purchase Line and Bishop McCourt Carroll, uh, each at one and two, 130, 120 respectively there. Claysburg Kimmel and West Branch, one and two, 110 points each. Uh, Juniata Valley and Mishannon Valley, each with 100 points with their one and two records. And then Connemaw Valley, Glendale, Marion Center at 0 and three. So, Again, you're starting to see probably the teams that you're going to see in action come November. I, there's always a case where you might see a team like Forest Hills just come out of nowhere, sneak into the playoffs, and then just make the most noise. But I think for the most part, you can maybe one or two swaps here or there, just depending on how the schedules play out. But the teams that are either in postseason spots or maybe three or four spots out at this point, they're going to be the teams you're going to be talking about in Week 10 when you're wondering, okay, who's going to make the playoffs? So it might have been too early to break that down, but we did it for you. There uh, you go. We're not going to do that every week. We'll have other things to talk about on this show. Um, speaking of other things to talk about, Mike Mastovich, you've got stats. Oh, yeah. We always have them. <laughs> So uh, just as we mentioned earlier, John Schuster, the, the story that I wrote last week, Coach Mac Rohall was talking about how sometimes he feels bad that, you know, Wimber's been winning a lot of uh, one-sided games over the past two years. And now that's not a bad thing. But um, Coach Rohall was saying how uh, he, he hasn't been able to play some of his key guys. This is something that Roger Beidle went through a few years back when uh, Ligonier was rolling through the Heritage Conference. Um, so – Schuster's a guy who doesn't get a, a lot of carries. He's often on the bench for much of the second half. Uh, they they left him in a little bit longer uh, at the Connemore Valley game because, as uh, Grohall was saying, last year by the time they got down to Berlin to play a very important game, his guys were cramping up. They weren't used to playing in the second half, even though it was like week seven, I think. So um, Schuster, back to the original point, has 39 carries for an area-best 544 rushing yards. Followed by a very productive on limited number of carries, Ethan Weber of Bedford, 21 carries for 465 rushing yards. Uh, Schuster, 10 touchdowns and 60 points as well. Uh, receiving, we had mentioned uh, John Updike, Connemouth Township, 16 receptions, 400 yards. Um, I think I might have said he had 600 before. That would be a, a pretty pretty good three games, <laughs> but it's really 400. And then Isaac Berkey of North Star, 11 receptions for 240 yards, and Ethan Black from Township, 15 for 216 yards. Going to the quarterbacks, we mentioned uh, Tanner Shirley. His passing total is 687 yards on uh, 39 of 58 passing. Garrett Harold, uh, 673 passing yards, and Nate Weissong of Chestnut Ridge uh, leading another undefeated team, 612 passing yards. Connor Yoder of North Star with 603 passing yards. Remember when it would take entire seasons for teams to pass for 600 yards? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, certainly certainly changed uh, over the last decade. And uh, Garrett Harold, I'd mentioned uh, his passing numbers. He also has rushed uh, for 230 yards on 35 carries. So uh, pretty, pretty impressive uh, showing there. And defensively, uh, Cody Dumb of Northern Cambria, 40 tackles. Michael Shonko of uh, Conwell Township with 36. Ty Stockley, Cambria Heights with 36. Uh, Mason Papinchak, four steals with 34 tackles. 
Uh, Sacks um, don't have the, the – well, I guess we do. I was going to say we don't have all the monster numbers we had in some past years, but we do. We have one guy, uh, Jordan Nichols of Richland, nine sacks. Then after that, we have a big group of guys with three sacks. Interceptions, um, looks like five, uh, four players uh, each have two interceptions. That's Cross Cassidy of Bedford, Ty Dumb of Northern Cambria, Peyton Myers, Northern Cambria, and uh, Tanner Shirley of Carmel Township, and Abin Shahid of McCourt Carroll. So that's actually uh, five guys with two picks each. Any other notes that you have, uh, you know, three weeks into the year, again, we're starting to see some stuff take shape. And I think we're, I think we're beyond the surprise phase. We, we talked about that last week, you know, who would be surprising at 2-0, but now 3-0. But now that we're seeing some stuff take shape, you know, what trends have you noticed? Well, that uh, the one thing that pops out to me, uh, and you saw them, I believe it was last week or the week before, Berlin, 133 to nothing. I mean, three shutouts and scoring 40 a game, 40-plus a game, all three. I mean, that I saw them uh, many times last year, and that was an impressive team, even though uh, they lost twice to Wimber. Um, but it just seems like they've, they've got things rolling there, and I, you saw them, so you... I, they were... Very efficient at times against Myersdale last week. Um, I think Coach Paul even said, you know, like, hey, there are some things we got to clean up. But they were able to win 49-0. Uh, Myersdale was able to move the ball on them somewhat, but penalties would start to hinder the Red Raiders. And, you know, you can't do that against Berlin because you got to get the points when you can get them, especially against a team that, when it's clicking, can just move the ball at will. And that's what happened. I mean, Myersdale would go on a drive. They'd get the ball into Mountaineers real estate. You're thinking, okay, hey, they might punch through. And then here's a holding penalty. Here's a procedure penalty. Here's a sack. And now now all of a sudden they're at their 35-yard line and they're punting away. Yeah. Um, there was a blocked punt in the end zone that really started the Mountaineers rolling. They were already up 14-0 at that point. That put them up 21-0, and it just kind of snowballed from there. And that was that was a big turning point for uh, Coach Paul. Actually, he really spoke of that blocked punt, and you know, say, hey, like that kind that got us rolling a little. Bit. I, you know, I don't think he said that woke us up, but I think that was kind of the vibe of the team was that just sounded an alarm for a team that was already up multiple touchdowns and now just started stampeding the rest of the way through. Another thing that happened last week. Uh, not exactly positive for the area team, but um, shows what kind of success they've had is uh, Ligonier Valley lost a seven-point game to uh, a large uh, big school, Greensburg-Salem. It uh, snapped a 32-game winning streak for the Rams at Weller Field in Ligonier. Uh, pretty impressive. The last uh, loss prior to that game was in 2015 against Central um, so that shows you kind of just the run that Ligonier Valley has had, uh, especially on home turf. And uh, they've got a big game this week with uh, with Apollo Ridge on the road. And, yeah, I like, I can't – I mean, I'm sure it's probably happened recently. But to go, what, six-plus seasons, almost seven years without a loss at home, that is – that is very impressive. Uh, I, I mean, I cannot remember that. I, I know that Winber 
had that streak in the late 90s, early aughts, where they had just won, what was it, 49 straight regular season games until Myersdale beat them. And, that, I mean, that was a huge deal. That was, like, very early in my tenure at the Tribune Democrat. I don't think it really hit me how big that was. But, I mean, it was massive. Yeah, it was uh, just an amazing run. I mean, amazing. So to go almost seven years without a loss at home, even with, you know, maybe that truncated schedule in 2020 or years where you may have only had four games at home just by how the conference schedule broke. I mean, whatever. You you didn't lose at home. Yeah. And, I mean, you're – let's be honest. You you would – if you were a major college program, if you are like in Alabama and you didn't lose at home for seven years, every broadcast of every game from Bryant-Denny Stadium would be telling you – about the last time Alabama lost at home. Yeah, yep. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, every time that Alabama plays a non-con game at home, everything goes back to when Louisiana Monroe beat Alabama. And Louisiana Monroe, I mean, I understand it's a bye game, but what are you doing scheduling Alabama <laughs> again? Yeah. Just ride that glory forever. You know, it's like Ohio and Penn State. I would have never scheduled Penn State again at <laughs> Ohio. I would just have rode on that 2012 victory forever. Yeah. Week four, Mike, uh, where are you headed? Or where do you, where, where are you going? This I am going to uh, Trojan Stadium for the city rivalry. Uh, the game we talked about, two teams really looking for a win, Johnstown and uh, McCourt Carroll. So that's where I'll be heading. Week four. By the time that uh, we are waking up on Sunday morning, we will be 40% of the way through yes. high school football season, mm-hmm. at least the regular season. Yeah. Um, it could be a much smaller percentage for teams with aspirations of going deep into district and state playoffs. But for the regular season of the 10 weeks that we've got, we'll be 40% yeah. of the way through. And it it does not feel like it's week four already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe it's a sign of my advancing age. I don't know. But it feels like maybe last Tuesday I was, with the help of Mike, with the help of Jake Oswald, putting together our football preview section that ran in late August. I, I just, how are we sitting here right now with it being September 14th? I don't know. As we record this, by the time the games kick off, it's going to be September 16th. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. One other thing I, I do think is pertinent for this week. It uh, doesn't relate to high school football directly, but indirectly because a lot of great high school players from this region played for him. But uh, just a, 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 a nod of respect out to, uh, over the past week, uh, Frank Signetti Sr., the former IUP football coach and athletic director, uh, passed away. And uh, Frank Signetti was uh, a legend at IUP. I, I did my graduate assistantship there. Uh, my, I started when he was the AD. And my first, after my first couple of semesters, he became the football coach. And I worked at the Indiana Gazette through my job uh, as a grad assistant. So I, I was on the sports staff of the Indiana Gazette. And Frank's first game uh, as head coach was in Bucknell, which was quite a road trip. So the young guy, the young early 20s-year-old guy was sent on, I can't remember how long of a drive it was to Bucknell, but back then it seemed like forever. And they sent me to cover that game. It was Frank's first game. And uh, they actually lost that game, but they put on a really good show because they were decided underdogs. And I'll, I remember interviewing Frank Signetti after that game, and he basically said, uh, 
hey, we lost, but there's there's some good things coming. And he certainly proved that because IUP was a dominant force in the uh, PSAC. And I was fortunate enough to cover them in the uh, NCAA Division II National Championship game. One time I, I covered them, uh, and I was on that whole run in the national semifinals down in Mississippi and then the championship game in Alabama. And uh, Frank was just a class guy and Hall of Fame guy and just made IUP into a national power and uh, certainly will be missed. And, uh, you know, condolences to his family. All right, Mike. Great show as always. Uh, we'll do this again next week. Um, again, thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the TD Club. It is week four. You can find Mike Mastovich on Twitter at Masty81. You can find me on Twitter at SeanCurtis430. So again, for Mike Mastovich, I am Sean Curtis, signing off on another episode of the TD Club. And congratulations, you have made it to the end. <laughs>